If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Lord, as we come to your word, would you inspire us afresh in Jesus' name, amen. I couldn't think of a better Sunday to start with a dad joke. And since uh, my family's still in England, you have the place of privilege this morning. Here it is. It's bad. But after this, nothing can get any worse. So here we go. I grew up with Steve Jobs, Johnny Cash, and Bob Hope. Now there's no jobs, no cash, and no hope. Please, Lord, don't let anything happen to Kevin Bacon. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? It gets you. See, even Judy's in tears. Oh, man, that's it. Sermon over. No, I'm kidding. Um, this, this Sunday is, uh, is a big day, isn't it? It's Father's Day. It's also um, Juneteenth, which commemorates, um, you know, a huge day in, in, in the life of, of Texas, but also in, in the U.S., and, you know, there are... Um, Plans today to, to uh, have a uniting march to City Hall and have a concert at 2 in the afternoon, and, and uh, people are taking part in that all day, and it's, it's incredible because um, never before have we needed people willing to do things for the sake of unity, right? And unity is so hard because our differences, we're told, are meant to divide us, not make us stronger. But in the church, it's our differences that enable us to experience God's love in a, in a fuller way. And so, not that we planned it for that, but our passage uh, this Sunday is the promise, Jesus promising the Spirit. And, um, and we're going to dive into it just a moment. Before that, I wanted to just draw your attention to this wreath we have here, which, uh, oh, thank you, look at that, lights appearing, it's as if it was all choreographed, which it was. Um, we want to capture as a church what God is doing, knowing that a number of us don't necessarily want to have to get up and tell the world what, you know, and speak in front of a crowd, so we thought the best way to capture it is by having this wreath, and then during any point during the service, the freedom to come up, and as a sign of God answering a prayer or doing something, tying a ribbon on a wreath. And last Sunday, um, during the worship, during communion, I noticed a, um, a girl come up and tie a ribbon on. And I happened to be with them that night for supper. And so I, I pulled her aside and I said, tell me, um, tell me, what, what's God done? I saw, you, I saw you put a ribbon. She said, actually, I put two on there. I said, okay. And the first story um, was that she'd been badly sunburnt despite copious amounts of sunscreen. And blisters had formed under her eyes. 
And they prayed that night, and she woke up as if there had been no blisters. So amazingly, she tied the ribbon on the wreath. Praise God. Then uh, the second one she said was, I was being not very nice to people in the morning, and I prayed to Jesus, and suddenly I was nice the rest of the day. I mean, we could stop there. Our lives would be changed if we, we, that would happen to us, wouldn't it? It's just, and so um, that's there to capture what God's doing. And when we fill that wreath up, we'll get another one, and we'll find a place to mount it. And we're just, the, the goal is at some point to just have all of these signs, outward signs that point to the inward grace that God has worked in our hearts. And, um, and it's just so powerful. And, and yet, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of baggage, isn't there? I was always told as a child never to play with fire. And uh, whenever I saw a bird, the instinct in me was to throw a rock at birds. I know I needed saving, right? And so growing up in a church that talked about Jesus, uh, the, the sending of the Holy Spirit as fire was entirely problematic to me. And that he was a dove, well, in Texas, that's problematic because dove hunting is like the biggest hunt season of the year, right? So what do we make of who the Holy Spirit is? And I was left with this residual lack of knowledge that in order to be filled with the Spirit, in order to be filled with the power of the Spirit, I needed to be holy and devout. And if I was holy and devout, maybe then I would receive the Holy Spirit. And I think that's a common misconception. Now, don't get me wrong, holiness and devotion have a huge part to play in the life of the believer. Uh, but when Jesus promises the Holy Spirit as he does in our passage, he does it in a very different context. If you've got your Bibles, you've got your phones, pull them up, open it up to John 14, and um, we're going to just very briefly look at these and, and just explore a couple of themes. So the, the scene is, is just before this happened, we're in John 13, verse 21. And it's the most awkward moment of any dinner party where Jesus says to the 12 in front of him, one of you is about to betray me. And he knows exactly who it is. Okay, so on one hand, there's betrayal. And then in John 13, verse 36, he pivots to Peter and he says, and you're going to deny me three times. So we've got betrayal and we've got the worst sin. I, I, There's a big debate there. I'll let the theologians amongst us debate who, who did worse, Judas or Peter. Peter denied him three times but stayed around long enough to be forgiven. Judas betrayed him to the Sanhedrin. And what we find is what, what I'd never, what really hit me is that the promise that Jesus makes here of sending the Holy Spirit is in the context not of one of abnormal piety and devotion, though that is great, but when we need him most. In the face of betrayal, in the face of failure, when we need support, when we have no confidence, when we have no hope, when we have no guidance, when we're riddled with pain and constrained, when all looks impossible, that's when Jesus is saying the promised helper, the Holy Spirit, will come. It's kind of inverted, isn't it? And I love that. It is so helpful to me. But if I'm honest, I'm very, I don't know about you, but I'm very uncomfortable with that aspect. Um, the cleaner came to the house on Thursday. And I spent all of my free time on Wednesday cleaning the house. Because I want the house clean when the cleaner comes. So she thinks I'm amazing. 
And I want to do the same with God. I want to sort my life out, out, clean it up before I give him full access. And this is what Teresa of Avila says in the interior castle. It's the common mistake. She says, we're not to clean up our lives before we welcome the Holy Spirit in. Rather, we are to welcome him in so that he cleans it up for us. There are some cleaners out there that you don't have to tidy the house for. They'll come in and they'll just set it right. I've not met them, but they're out there, right? And, and that's the thing is that I, and I think in our culture, we have this self-help um, distortion in the background that makes think that we have to help ourselves in order for God to help us. And it's not true. So John 14, verses 15 and 16 say this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Well, who is the helper? Philip touched on this a little bit last week. The helper is the true reading of the Greek, I'm told, is counselor, which means one called to help. So that, that's, you know, thankfully the answer is in the definition. But what does a counselor do in terms of the counselor and the Holy Spirit? Well, he does five things. He consoles. What does it mean to console? It's the action of coming alongside. Not swooping in to save or rescue, but come alongside and walk with. The counselor encourages. What does it mean to encourage? I know these terms are self-evident maybe, but they're used so freely by our culture we kind of lose sense of what they mean. But to encourage means to pour support into a person, to make a person confident, and to give them hope. The counselor also exhorts. What does it mean to exhort? It is to be urged to do something. He entreats. What does it mean to entreat? It's, it's kind of fallen out of fashion these days, but to entreat is to plead with, especially in order to persuade or to ask urgently. And then it's, he comforts, so he gives ease and freedom from pain or constraint. So this helper is one, the Holy Spirit, his role is to stick up for us, to work on our behalf, and to be completely for us. And so here we have it. Jesus has just predicted that one will betray him and that Peter, the rock upon which the church will be built, will deny him three times. And it's into this context that Jesus promises the Spirit, the context of failure, betrayal, hardship, and pain. And so where are you this morning? Some of you still have the bitter taste of betrayal in your mouth because it's awful. Some of us, I know, are in pain. Some of us are going through hardships. Some of us have experienced failure. One, I uh, one, one uh, author I love who I discovered um, through the Alpha Course, he was the um, preacher to the Papal See. His name is Raniere Cantalamessa. And in his book on the Holy Spirit called A Sober Intoxication, what a great title. You should hear it in Italian. I can't pronounce it, but it's even better. In Sober Intoxication, he says this, when the Holy Spirit enter you, enters you, he changes nothing and he changes everything. He changes 
Nothing in the sense that he doesn't add a single thing to the teaching and doctrine of the church. He changes everything because he, he applies the richness of theology and doctrine to our hearts. And once that application of the heart happens, it brings about a sober intoxication where you feel so loved that it's, it's, it's inebriating. And so in John chapter 14, we have this helper is, going to, is looking and Jesus applies four things in the face of all of this stuff that we're going through, four things that he's looking to do. The first is to give us power. It's strange to think that in the face of betrayal, pain, hardship, and difficulty, that there's an opportunity to become powerful. Because the big question we're asking now as a culture is, can power really be entrusted in the hands of men and women? And that's what Chris preached on a couple weeks ago. But here, the Holy Spirit, as he changes us to be like Jesus, enables us to become powerful, not in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of Jesus. And so we have this picture of meekness in Jesus, which is what, is, what does it mean to be meek? It's a Ferrari traveling at 15 miles an hour. All of the power is there. You had complete control, unless you're in Dallas and you hit a speed bump and the chassis is busted. But, you know, every illustration breaks down after a bit. But the first thing is power. Power, not as the world sees it, but as Jesus has modeled it. And so in 14, verse 12, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Power to continue the mission of Jesus, which isn't just to get the job done, but to put the Father's love on display for the world. The second thing he looks to do is, if you look down with me at verses 18 to 21, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Intimacy. Intimacy with the Father. Unparalleled, unrestricted access to his heart. The second, third thing he promises is to know that we're loved by the Father. Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us? He will make his love manifest to us. And then fourthly, to help you follow Jesus in verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If I, I'll be honest. My parenting techniques often communicate to my children that if they obey me, I will love them. because I'm tired, cranky, cantankerous at times, hungry, you name it. But that's not true. I love them. And because I love my boys, I want them to follow my instruction because I have a little bit more experience and wisdom in life than they do. And the same is true for God. He doesn't want us to obey in order for us to receive his love, but we begin from a place of absolute love. And as we receive that love, 
and move in that love. We are changed so that we all of a sudden want to do and follow his instruction. So who is this helper? He's one called to help, one who consoles, who comes alongside, who encourages, who pours support, makes confident, gives hope. He exhorts us to do something. He can persuade us to act urgently and comfort us to give us ease and freedom from pain or constraint. Often we think of these as mountaintop moments, but not always. In fact, recently, and if you'll permit, I, I thought I'd share a little, illustrate this uh, for you with what's happened in my life over these last six months, um, which is um, in November, I had a health event coming back from a, from a trip where I felt, I turned to Rachel on the flight and I said, something's wrong and I don't know what it is. And um, fatigue hit and I was worried that it was the worst case scenario because that's my temperament is the sky is falling and I'm about to be swallowed up. Um, and through tests and exhausting everything, we ruled out all of the big problems. And then suddenly um, the word Crohn's started to appear and I went through physically um, from November, I would say, to April, a pretty demanding, desolate time where I found that I had no energy, no strength. Brain fog, where the words I wanted were just out of reach and, and had to find help. And in my life, if I could order it, I would be the strong one helping everyone around me. And for the first time, I was the one who needed strong people around me. And so thanks to the staff here and the vestry and support of friends and family, um, I was able to receive it. And yet it wasn't just a physical problem. It was emotional because I was put on a high dosage of steroids in order to prevent surgery. And, um, and they made me crazy. They did. Because normally I'm unflappable, but all of a sudden I was experiencing these depths of despair and these, I didn't go manic, that would have been nice for a little bit, unless, you know, really happy, but I never, it was just kind of these, these awful dips. And uh, throughout it all, there was like, not every day, but all of a sudden I was aware of God in a different way. There was no mountaintop experience. There was what John of the Cross calls the um, dark night of the soul. And in the, that darkness, the, there would be glimmers of light through friends and through people and through, and all of a sudden it was like, all of a sudden this counselor was manifesting his presence in my life through the church, through friends, through family, so that I suddenly had someone who would come alongside. Uh, who would give hope, who would um, ease the pain and constraint. And, you know, not out of the woods yet, but uh, through a chance conversation with a member of the congregation, I found a nutritionist who has this problem, and so not just with medicine, but with nutrition, and I've got a great psychiatrist uh, who's helping me out, and when I say, how are you today, he says, David, you pay me so you don't have to care for me which I think is great. 
I have other people for that. And you know, it's, it's this piece of, and I share that to say is that sometimes we have these ideas of what the power of the Spirit looks like and what Holy Spirit will do. And yet it's, it's much more subtle. And so in my life, what's happened in the last six months is having gone through all of this and living with the reality that I'll probably never eat pizza again and I'm okay with that, though I love it. Um, I'm becoming not a better version of myself, but I think what's happened is, is I've taken steps closer to being the version that Jesus would have me become. And a lot of that has been the heart work, not just the physical, but the emotional stuff, where I'm learning how to process emotion real time. There used to be a four-day lag. So something would happen, and four days later, I'd feel weird, which is kind of the problem, because I would internalize everything. Whereas now, and I'm going to confess something to you, and you can walk out afterwards, but Hunter and I went for a bike ride on Thursday around the lake, and as you go around the lake, there are all these impressive speedsters that fly by in their spandex suits and just going, you know, 30 miles an hour. We're going, there's these barricades, and there's a little gap in between. And part of the problem is my psychiatrist has always said, when was the last time you had an emotional outburst? I was like, never. He said, well, that's problematic. I said, okay, well, I'll try. <laughs> I'll clean the house before the cleaner comes, you know. And um, I had just been learning how to write and, and process all that I'm feeling. And so we're going, then I hear Hunter say, watch out. And this wing nut an incredibly impressive spandex flies past me and kind of almost knocks me to the barricade. And I don't know if Hunter heard very well, but I just began to cuss him out. I thought, what's this? This is an emotional outburst. And, you know, and Hunter pulls up and says, well, that was intense. And, you know, I was like, yeah, wasn't that great? I actually had an outburst. I tried, that was probably, and that was the first time I've ever done that. I'm not going to make a habit of it, but, you know, it's kind of the fruit. And, you know, we often hear stories of people talking about the Holy Spirit with the finished work. That's not the kind of church we are. I've learned from you, um, and we've modeled, is that we're all in process, and we're working on it together. And we're, the, the, the staff here isn't here to fix you, because it's impossible. I know you too well. We're here to come alongside, and we're here to pray as hard as we can, to encourage as hard as we can, to comfort as hard as we can, so that together we might be filled with him, with the promised helper, so that we might be a blessing to the world. So, the promise is that he would send us the spirit when we are in most need, when we're facing betrayal, failure, when we need support, when we have no confidence, no hope, no guidance, when we're riddled with pain, and when we're constrained, and when all looks impossible. So I don't know what you arrived with this morning. I know for some, today's painful. I know for some, it's, today's great. And the th dynamic of the church is that when some of us are having a great day, others are having the worst day. And so what Jesus asks of the church, no one ever asks of anyone. anyone which is that we would weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, which we never want to do when we're in either camp. And so I'd like us to just take a moment to pray. And I don't know, 
what, what we'd have is at the end of um, communion, there are always prayer teams at the back. And I would encourage you, I, if whenever I can, I go for prayer because I'm just really aware of my need. And prayer ministry is such a powerful way to come alongside. And you're going to hear more in the next weeks how we're going to launch it and, and train people up and, and get more people into it. But I would encourage you always, in, the, in so much as we take supplements, nutritional supplements, prayer ministry acts in the same way because we need as, to receive as much as we can from him. Why don't we stand? Let me pray. Lord, we uh, come to you <clears throat> as your church. And we come to you, and you know exactly where each one of us is. You know, those of us who would rather clean up our lives for you, we let you in. And you know those of us who are already so hungry for more of you. You know those of us who have a dream to see the world changed into the vision of your kingdom. You know those of us who um, want to be able to love more and receive more of your love. And so together, Lord, we pray the oldest prayer of the church. Would you come, Holy Spirit? Would you well up within us? Would you come upon us? We pray that you would give to some mountaintop experiences. Give it to us all. And as those of us are walking through dark nights of the soul, would you come and, and meet with us? Comfort us. Would you come, Holy Spirit? Thank you, Lord, that nothing is ever lost with you. That you've taken everything into consideration. So even now, Lord, would you move in power or would you fill us afresh with your presence? And we ask all of this in, in your name, Jesus. Amen.